coaches and try to interview anyone, but I've been really reflecting upon my coaching philosophy balance with all the stuff that I've learned from other coaches and talking with them. And I thought that I would just do a three-part series over Memorial Day weekend. And number one being basically my road as a football coach and the things that I learned on the way and the things that I think that helped make me be successful. And the second thing is, is how to be a great assistant. And I'm looking at it from the lens of what if I was to go be a GA or quality control guy for somebody, or, you know, what, what would I tell a 23 year old uh, guy out there is going to go work for somebody. And then the third thing is our off season strength and speed development coupled with our leadership development and how we do that. So, but today I want to go and talk about our program here at Eagles Landing Christian Academy and how it has grown over the past 12 years. I'm heading into my 13th football season. But the fact of the matter is, um, when you're building a program, it is hard. And as we start this conversation, I'm humbly coming before you understanding that God built the house and God builds every house and we've had success only because God has allowed us to have success and we've had a lot of luck. You know, uh, when, you, when you're studying business, they, they'll say, what's the number one thing for success in business? And the, and the guy will say, location, location, location. I think that's true for any state champion football coach. They are in a good location. I got to be friends with Coach Dickerson at Clinch County. And, you know, after he won so many state championships, I said, Coach, why don't you ever leave? And he says, Coach, because the coach before me left Clinch County, and, and he had won six, five or six state championships, and he goes to a school, and he never did better than three and seven. And he said, I learned right then that there's just something special in the water at Clinch County. Well, talking with Coach Dickerson, just that little statement that he told me uh, transform my thought process. You know, a lot of times we just win because of the location and where we are located. And so, um, and then there's a great book out there. It's called Outliers. And I meant to look up the uh, name of the author before I started doing the podcast, but I didn't. But it's about outliers. And it's just about how a lot of times he takes, he does a story on Bill Gates and how Bill Gates, yeah, he's a genius, but he he hit the market just at the right time. Steve Jobs with Mac, he hit it just at the right time. There's a lot of guys that are smarter than them or has their ability level, but all the outside forces just came together and allowed them to be successful. So when, when I'm talking to you how that we've had success at Eagles Landing Christian Academy and how we've won state championships, I'm, I'm humbly doing it, understanding that if I was somewhere else, I know that we probably couldn't win state championships. Because uh, I say this, you know, there's a lot of great coaches out there, but we all have to have players, right? The teams that win state championships, they have better players than everybody else. Um, but just some, some things, and then I'm going to go year by year, but some things I was thinking about in building a program, your relationships with your parents is critical. You have to have good relationships with your parents. You can't just not talk to them. 
you have to, to you have to have gr- cultivate great relationships with them, great trust, and that is very hard to do. Do not set if you're starting a new program. Do not set non-negotiables. Don't set non-negotiables as you must do this and you must do this, or if you do this, I'm going to punish you this way. Don't do that because you will find yourself in so much trouble because every situation has a different circumstance as to why that happened. And uh, talking with Dean Fabrizio from Lee County, he said, you know, he, he built a program and he's talked about how the extra must become expected, but you can't expect it until you start winning. So it has to be extra at the beginning and you're motivating everybody on in how to be successful. And as you're successful, it becomes expected. But you have to be patient and don't set non-negotiables like you have to be here every day in the summer to work out or you can't play football. Don't do that because you're going to have a baseball player that can't be there, but he's going to help you win games on Friday nights. Your value to your organization or your school is your ability to influence boys. Do this well and parents will love you. And if the parents love you, the administration is going to love you. You have got to pour into those boys. Strive to keep parents out of the headmaster's office or the principal's office. I mean, you're going to have problems, but try to handle all those problems. And and if you just have a closed-door policy, I'm not talking to parents, I'm not dealing with this, and and you don't give a little bit with parents, then they're going to go to your headmaster or your principal, and then you're going to be fired. My goal is to keep the parents out of my headmaster's office And if he comes to me with a problem, I'm going to deal with it how he tells me to deal with it or whatever he wants me to do. As you win, you can be more demanding, understanding this. Being a head coach, you're going to have standards, but it is constant compromise. Your kids are going to not meet your standards every single day. We say perfect effort. Well, they're not going to give perfect every effort every single day. We say we're going to bust our tail Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. Well, you're going to have three or four kids that don't. You have to compromise. You got to think about the greater good. There's things that you should fight and there's things that you shouldn't fight. Don't sweat the small stuff. You got to figure out what the small stuff is. And some of the big stuff, it really isn't big stuff. You have to constantly be involved in your program from K-5 all the way through 12th grade. You got to constantly set the vision and get people excited about football. You need, to, you need to have a plan to interact with your alumni. My alumni, I have every single one of my alumni's phone numbers, cell numbers, and they get texts from me. I have them in a group text, and they hear from me. You need to keep that connection. So that's just some general thoughts, and I'm going to take you through um, my career as a coach. And as we go, I'm going to talk about things that I think were vital uh, in, in my growth as a football coach. Number one, high school football. I had a great high school football coach in Marty Woolbright and Carol Hester. Carol Hester was the defense coordinator and Marty Woolbright was the offense coordinator head football coach. Here's what they taught me, weight room. You know, they taught me the value of the weight room, the value of working hard, and that, that was instilled in me and it's still part of who I am. Coach Woolbright ran the wing tee. I don't run the wing tee, but I love the misdirection uh, 
idea of misdirection. And here's why. Because I remember in high school football, I would I know the play was going to the right, and I know I was supposed to block back to the linebacker, and I go block to the linebacker, and the linebacker ran to the left. And I didn't know why he was running the opposite direction of the play. Well, he didn't know where the ball was. And so that is the value of misdirection. And so I learned that from those guys. I then went on to the Citadel. At the Citadel, I had four or five offensive coordinators. We weren't very good, but I played center. I had four or five different offensive coordinators. So I, I ran all the offenses you can imagine. We ran the Nebraska I triple option. We ran the, the double wing triple option. We ran the wing T. We ran the pro style I. <clears throat> and then one year we were spread. It was, it's crazy. But it wasn't necessarily fun at the time. But as a coach, I think I learned a lot. From the, Air, from the Citadel, I went to um, the Air Force and I spent three years in active duty in the Air Force as an officer. Um, I didn't do very much, but I had guys around me that were that are called NCOs, non-commissioned officers. And those are guys that have spent 20 to 25 years in the military. They never became officers, but they're high ranking <clears throat> non-commissioned officers, which are high ranking enlisted guys. And they would tell me that I'm, they would tell me that I knew nothing and if they just let, if I let them do everything, that they would make me look good. And and I listened to them. Some people would fight against them, but I listened to them and I let them do everything. And they did. They made me look good. And my job was not very hard. But the, the lesson for that for me was, is that I don't know anything. I have to learn. You're 23, 24, 25 years old. You think you know a lot but you don't. So having those 40 and 45 and 50 year old men telling me that I didn't know anything was very good for me. So while I was in the Air Force, I started coaching middle school football. I, you know, the, the pastor of uh, Bob Vesey, he was the pastor of the church I was going to, he coached middle school football at First Presbyterian Day School. He asked me to come over there and coach um, middle school football. Well, I'm a yes man. I say yes to everything. So I said yes, and I really didn't want to, but I committed to it. And I'm also a committed guy, a loyal guy. So I committed. I said yes, so I'm going to go do it. I had an absolute blast. Honestly, that was the most fun coaching I've ever had in my entire life. So I, so I coached middle school while I'm in the Air Force. And Coach Moore, the head football coach at First Presbyterian Day School, he asked me to come be the offensive line coach the next year. So I was still in the Air Force, but I was I was also a lay coach, coaching the uh, coaching the offensive line at FPD while I was in the Air Force. So while I was there, I had no intentions of making a career out of being a high school football coach, but I saw a huge problem. The weight room was not right, and so I asked Coach Moore to just let me take control of the weight room for the summer. And so for you you guys that are assistant coaches, you know, <clears throat> he, he didn't he didn't ask me to do the weight room. I went and asked him to do the weight room. I wanted to be in control of it and I asked him if I could. And he said yes. <clears throat> and I I made the best workout plan. I put it in a notebook. I spent like 500 of my own dollars getting this stuff printed out, putting them in binders, and I was so excited about the summer workouts and we had a great summer workout program and it was invaluable for me learning how to run a weight pro room program and I was doing all of this while I was in the Air Force. So coach that year I had an absolute blast. 
and God, that's when God really got a hold of my life. I surrendered my life to Christ. And the next thing that happened is God called me to go into high school football coaching. I spent a lot of time praying about it. I didn't want to go into high school football coaching. The, the Being an officer in the Air Force is a very lucrative job. You get paid a lot and you don't do very much. Sorry, you know, maybe when you're a major and up, but, you know, if anybody's a first lieutenant or second lieutenant, they don't, they don't do much unless they're a Marine or the Army um, or a pilot. But, um, so... But um, so anyways, while I was, so I got out of the, of the Air Force and I went to coach full time at First Presbyterian Day School and I coached the offensive line. Not only did I coach the offensive line, I taught five math classes. I taught algebra, algebra one and I taught algebra two and I taught accounting. So I taught six classes, five math classes, one extra class. And I was making kids come in the weight room at 6.30 in the morning or, you know, in the off season, I was staying from 3.30 to 6.30 with any other kid that wanted to work out. So my days were going from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock. And that was no big deal because we were going to get the job done. At FPD back then, the kids did not work out during school. So that's the stuff that I was doing there. You know, wasn't getting paid necessarily to do all of that extra weightlifting stuff, but I wanted to add value to the organization. So the next year, you know, I do the same thing the next year, but um, during the summer, I start. Uh, there was this thing. There was something that so FPD is a, it was a um, was a school of about four hundred students, and Central Gwinnett was having a lineman challenge. So Central Gwinnett was, at the time, the highest level, 6A. And so all around the state, there different schools were going to come in and do a lineman challenge. And we'd been in the weight room, and I had some strong linemen. I was like, guys, let's go do this. <clears throat> and even though I was kind of scared to do it because I didn't want my players to get destroyed and embarrassed, we went up there and we competed. And out of 30 schools, 5A, 6A, you know, it wasn't 7A back then, Our my school, my boys, FPD, well, it was really Coach Moore's school, but our offensive linemen, we went up there and we finished second. And that was a great experience for me because at the end of the day, here's what it taught me. You can do more than you think you can do. Your kids can compete at a higher level than you think they can compete. Coach Moore and I also went to the Florida Coaching Clinic that year. And if you would watch my offense and you were to go back and watch what Urban Meyer was doing back in 2006 and 2007 or 2005 and 2006, um, at Florida, you would see that, man, the Elka offense is very similar. So that was critical for me. I devoured books during this time. Uh, the two years I was at, at FPD as a, as a um, full-time teacher and coach, uh, the, the most essential book for me was De La Salle book. Was the De La Salle book, When the Game Stands Tall. It was an awesome book. If you're a young coach or you're a coach who has not read that book, you must buy that book. And so what was going on at FPD is I was a young football coach and I'm just looking, I'm looking for information, which is why I do these podcasts, because I want to provide the information through other coaches to, to young coaches out there. But I was just trying to find any, any information that I could and the De La Salle book was essential for me. And it, all it talked about for me was how critical an off-season weight room program was and how he did it and how, how it made his team better 
and I copied it to a T. We don't run the same offense that they do. We don't run the same defense that they do, but his book does not really talk about what offense they run and what defense they run. It talks about the team's work ethic, which I thought was critical. In 2007, the, the Eagles Landing Christian Academy job opened up, and I didn't apply for it. Somebody called, asked me to send my resume in, and so I got the job. I think I got the job because they were looking for somebody young who would work for cheap. Nothing, nothing because of anything good that I have done. I had done. So, in, and so in 2007, I take the job, and I went up there with two, 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 two overarching mindsets or philosophies. Number one, Psalm 127, 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the watchman watches over the city, those who watch, watch in vain. And bottom line is, Lord, please build the house. I'm going to hear, I'm here working. Show me what I need to do because I don't know. But Lord, build the house. And number two, I'm going to come up here with the philosophy, no one works harder. Now, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of schools that work harder. But the whole point is developing an ideological, excuse me, a philosophy and ideology, there you go, of what you want your players to think and who you want your players to be. We want, I wanted them to value hard work and getting after it. So I talked about um, <clears throat> the lineman challenge taught me that my players can compete at so much of a higher level than I think that they can. So when my first thing we did at uh, Elka is we started competing with everybody in seven on seven, anybody and everybody, and we competed at a high level. Then we get into football season. Now, I don't know anything, okay? We, we start off the year four and one, but here's what happened. So all summer long, I'm doing seven on seven. I'm five wide. I'm, tr I'm doing all that. We're throwing all the time. I think I'm some throwing genius. Well, I also like to run the ball. So when I start coaching our team, we, I'm running the wing tee. I'm running double tight, tight end. 21, 22 personnel type stuff. And then I'm running spread inside zone type stuff. Three different offenses. Why? Well, I thought I was a genius. I'm running all these offenses. I didn't realize what I was doing was stupid. Well, we, we win the first game. In the second game, we got it handed to us. We played, played Brookstone. They ran the wing tee. They shoved it down our throat. And you know, I, I realized three offenses don't work. You can't run three offenses because I ran a little bit of the wing tee, a little bit of 22, a little bit of 21 personnel, and I, I ran the spread, throw it all around. Uh, none of it worked. You know why none of it worked? Because we weren't good at any of it. And I learned this. Football is not seven on seven. So we go back and man, we're just going to run offense. You know, we're going to be we're going to be in the shotgun and we're going to run jet sweep, we're going to run quarterback power, we're going to roll out and throw the football, all this kind of stuff. <clears throat> and so we end up going 4 and 1 and we beat Bremen. And I once again, real quick, I thought I was a genius and I would say silly things like, you know, this is the greatest show in the state of Georgia, but you know, the problem with that is it, it was arrogance. You know, it wasn't confidence and there's a fine line. So, um, you know, so anyways, so we went from four and one in the season at six and five. <clears throat> one thing that I learned at Elka is Elka back then idolized Landmark and they, and the people around the program worshiped Kenny Dallas. 
So I was going to do two things. Number one, I was I was going to stop talking about Landmark. And I didn't tell all our players to quit talking about Landmark, but I scheduled Henry County in 2008, who was a very good program back then, under Mike Rogier and Rex Robertson, who was the offensive coordinator. And, man, they were a powerhouse with all these Division One players. So I scheduled them. So our, I didn't tell my players what I was doing, but I wanted their minds to be talking about Henry County all year, not Landmark. But also, I developed a great relationship with Kenny Dallas, and I wanted to learn from him. And so that was both of those were strategic. Kenny Dallas was a good guy. I wanted to learn from him and how to coach, how to be a head coach, how to coach in the region I was in. And then I scheduled Henry County so our kids would quit thinking about Landmark, and our school would quit thinking about Landmark. So, so 2007 season, we ended six and five. We head into the 2008 season. <clears throat> I read a great book in the 2008 season before the season. It's called Education of a Coach, and it's about Bill Belichick. And it's just a philosophy book. I, you know, it's, it's really good. Um, so I'm learning as we go here. <clears throat> in 2008, we had a great defense. Jay Covington was our defensive coordinator. He was a cover zero guy, blitz everybody, real aggressive style of football. But we had a horrible offense. And but you know, just there's different reasons for that. But uh, we got destroyed by Henry County that year. I mean, it was like forty to nothing at halftime. But it, but we but we beat Landmark that year. We got lucky to beat Landmark, but we beat Landmark that year. And I I think it's because we quit talking about them so much. We finished the year. And we played Lincoln County. If you know anything about Georgia high school football, you know that Larry Campbell is a legend. He won 11 state championships. He was at the end of his career. <clears throat> but one thing I've always done as a head coach is I latch on to great coaches. I don't annoy them, but I ask them very strategic questions because I want to know their overall philosophy on things and what they say, and then I take that and, and turn it into my own. The other great thing about playing these legends of coaches <clears throat> is you get to learn how they think by watching their film. And one thing I learned about Larry Campbell's at the single A level, he did not play anybody both ways, and he was very simple. He ran an old-school 50 defense, and you could say it's a 3-4, but <clears throat> for him it was a 50, and they would jump into 4-3 every now and then. But the safeties and corners didn't change responsibilities, but it was either a 50 front or it was a 4-3 front. So he kept it very simple, not a lot of blitzing, not a lot of complex schemes, just very sound, fundamental football. Um, they beat us 7 to nothing that year. We were inside the red zone three times and couldn't score. <clears throat> so that's what I learned that year. I learned a lot from Larry Campbell. In 2009, a lot of lessons in 2009. In 2009, I started reading John Wooden and became a, John, a huge John Wooden fan. So whatever you can find about John Wooden, read it. He's an awesome Christian man who was a successful uh, basketball coach. I learned a lot in 2009 about dealing with parents. Um, and in 2008, I have a huge regret. There was a kid that started at quarterback for, for um, probably nine games, and our offense just wasn't clicking, but we were eight and one, and I, I benched him. And um, I shouldn't have done that. You know, um, Taylor Barron, if you're listening, shouldn't have benched you, <clears throat> but I did. It was a huge mistake as a young coach. 
And, and I started another kid because the other kid's dad had convinced me that his son was, um, I don't know, back then it would have been Peyton Manning. <clears throat> and, you know, that he's the next Peyton Manning. He was a freshman, and I was scared that they were going to leave Elka if I didn't start him. So I, so we were 8-1, and one and I benched my starting quarterback. And we started throwing the ball more. Guess what? We, we lost in the second round in 2008. In 2009, we started off 0-2 because since I had a throwing quarterback, I thought I was going to be Tony Franklin. And I was going to make my, my, my quarterback's dad happy because he wanted his son to throw all the time. And so, man, you, you, you do it. So when you, we evaluated our last four games, uh, with we had gone one and three and thrown 18 interceptions. So 2009 season, we start off 0-2, and we play Holy Innocence. We're 0-1, we play Holy Innocence. <clears throat> and we were so soft. Our defense was so soft. They ran they ran the ball down our throats. They embarrassed us. I learned right then, you know, at 0-2, that we are going to be physical on defense, and we are going to be physical on offense. Now, all we were doing was spread throw, and at 0-2, wake up Saturday morning, go watch film, and we doing a bout face. And that's when we started running 20 personnel, all this jet sweep, power, counter, all that. That's that's what we started. And our mindset became, we're going to run the ball down your throat, we're going to be physical, and we're going to play great physical defense and get on you. And that's what 2009, starting off 0-2, taught me. We were 0-2, and, and I, I, was a, I was a miserable wretch. And I remember my wife and I were driving, and she looked at me, she says, what if you don't win a game this year? I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a horrible thing for a wife to say to her husband. But I'm like, yeah, you know, if we don't win a game, I guess I'll just get another job. Maybe maybe I can go back into the Air Force. But um, no, but I sat down and clearly came up with, we're going to be physical. I, yeah, I didn't come up with much else, but we're going to be physical. We finished that year nine and three, um, you know, and uh, that really started our run as an offense. We started off zero and two, finished the year nine and three, so we went we went eight and one from that point forward. Started scoring a lot of points, played better defense, not great defense, and then uh, so we move into two thousand ten. In 2010, I'm really, I really kind of know what I am offensively. Don't know what I want to run on defense, whether it be a, you know, three-five, three-four, four-three, whatever. I hired um, a guy named Dan Curl. He was a guy who won like a hundred games in a row in, in youth football. So, you know, at Elka at that point, I couldn't hire a defensive coordinator to be on my staff. So I had to hire a lay coach, and he he was the best option. I did learn a lot from Dan Curl, and it was how simple to keep things. And he always would say things like, uh, just real simple things, like you can't fit a square peg in a round hole. You know, that kid's not smart enough to do that. And, you know, we played a 50 defense. We played cover zero all the time. And um, so uh, Dan Curl worked with me. Jason Carrere was my offensive coordinator. And Tim Luke was my special teams <clears throat> coach. And these were three alpha males. And what I learned in 2010 is I was a horrible leader of men, a good leader of high school boys. But my, my coaching staff basically 
they did whatever they wanted to do and ran all over me and they argued with each other and we had division offense defense special teams we had division we weren't one and that's that's a challenge for you coaches you you, you, your whole team has to mesh together. Your offense and your defense must mesh. Your offense and your defense and your special teams must mesh. So, um, <clears throat> when in 2010 we had a great season though. We went 12 and 0. We lost to Clinch County in the semifinals or the quarterfinals. They were 12 and 0. We were 12 and 0. Number one in the state. They were. We were number two in the state. We went down there. They beat us in the last minute and a half. It was really good for me because I became great friends with Coach Dickerson down there. And here's what I learned from playing Coach Dickerson. The man ran a 5-3 cover three. That's all he ran. And he won a state championship. And they did it extremely well. And his defensive ends could fly. His secondary was amazing. And, you know, they beat us. We were a spread run team. And they beat us playing a, a, 50, a 5-3 cover three. And he won the state championship playing the triple option, 5-3, cover three. And so learned a lot from him. <clears throat> also, I had a, a big-time prospect at the time, and I got I got to meet Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly comes to our school. He's recruiting. Chip Kelly's got a really dry sense of humor or just dry personality, period. So, um, you know, I don't know how to talk to these coaches. So he comes in, and there's a funny stories. He comes in the school, and I was like, hey, coach, how you doing? He said, good. And um, he said, I just flew in, and I was like, I was like, what, you know, did you rent a car? I said something stupid like that. He's like, no, I have a driver. I didn't even cross my mind that these coaches, uh, they have so much money, they don't rent cars, they get drivers, these head coaches. <clears throat> but he comes down to my office, and Avery uh, Sebastian was taking an exam, so coach has to sit there and talk, have to entertain him for two hours, so I'm just asking questions. And uh, that's what I always do. I ask questions, and I'm just looking to learn something, and I said, coach, you know, you just, you just set them up. I said, Coach, are y'all ready for the national championship? This is the year that they were going to play Auburn in the national championship. He said, this is before Christmas now. They're playing probably, I don't know, three or four weeks down the road. He's, and I said, are y'all ready for the national championship? He says, no, we're not ready for the national championship. He's ready. He's like, I'm ready for today. I'm ready to get better today. I'm ready to study film today. And and then he goes on this win the day, just man, just just rant. And I was like, gosh, I am so stupid. I was just so embarrassed for myself. But I got, that was such a great lesson for me. Quit worrying about three weeks down the road and get better today. Focus on this day. And that's why at Elka we say win the day. And it's because of that meeting right there. And even though it was embarrassing for me, I was, you know, apologizing for myself. Um, so learned a lot in 2010. So then 2011, so we lost in the quarterfinals, <clears throat> had our best year ever in 2010, but here we go in 2011, graduated a lot of good players, uh, 2011, here we go, well, we, we, we play, we scheduled Briarwood Christian Academy in Alabama, they were a powerhouse back then, I think they're still pretty good, they were just coming off losing in the state championship, they played 5A in the state of Alabama, they just had lost in the state championship, they had 40 kids in their senior class that they were bringing to us. 120 kids came to our school. I was like, and I had 65 kids on my roster, or maybe 60, I don't know. And I was like, what in the world are we doing playing these guys? So here's this man, Fred Yancey, is the head football coach. So I'm watching film, and watching film all summer long. 
all this team does is play quarters, but they play it with such precision and such discipline. It's so simple, but nobody's getting any yards on them. So we're just, I'm like, oh my goodness, man. I thought you had to be complicated to be a great coach, but man, just just sitting there, he's playing cover, uh, cover four and four, three, cover four and doing it to a, <clears throat> to a T. And so coach Yancey, <clears throat> man, I'm expecting this just beast of a man pregame. And I go out there and he's like this old grandpa and uh, such a sweet man, such a good man, but, but he's won all these state championships, had all the success. So as I do with any good coach, I just start asking him questions in pregame. And I asked him this question. I said, coach Yancey, how is it that you can have these corners that are Division I corners and you don't play them on offense, these great defensive linemen, and you don't play them on defense? He says, Coach, or, yeah, defensive linemen, don't play them on offense. He says, Coach, I've just learned over the years. Now, this is like a grandpa now. He's probably 65 at the time. He's like, I've just learned over the years that you're going to take your lumps in the first and the second quarter, but it all evens out in the fourth quarter. And guess what happened? We were beating them 18 to 7 at halftime. We were whipping them. We lost the game 21-18. They scored with a minute and a half left. All my studs, my six studs, were all out of the game cramping up. Coach Yancey was a prophet in my eyes. We we end up going on, had a great year. We lose in the semis. All right, another great lesson for me, Kenny Dallas. We beat him 35 to 14 in the first in the in the regular season to win the region championship. He's still coaching for Landmark at the time. And then he comes back and he beats us 14 to 7 in the uh in the semifinals. Two things I learned right there. Number one, I talked about how the offense the, the special teams and offense and defense when when they don't match up. Well, that was one of our problems. Um, in the game, you know, our defense wants to throw shutouts. Our offense wants to score 50 points. Our special teams wants to make plays everywhere. We, we, um, fumbled the ball on special teams. We, we actually, we fumbled the ball on a, on a punt return inside the 18 yard line. That's how they scored one touchdown. And at the end of the game, when I should have just taken a knee and gone into overtime at seven to seven, we're backed up on our own 20 yard line. We throw an interception on the 18 yard line. And so, um, learned a lot, but here's the number, here's the biggest, I learned a lot about being a leader, but here's what I learned most in that game. Your play action, <clears throat> um, coach Dallas told me after the fact, cause he left landmark after this year and he said, coach, do you know, I said, coach Dallas, it just seemed like you knew my plays, you knew my signals. He said, nope, I didn't know your plays. I didn't know your signals. My safeties, because he played he played two-man the whole game, he said, my safeties watch your tackles. He says, coach, it's 100%. Even if you play action, if you pass, it's high hat. If you run, it's low hat. My safeties watched your the, the tackle. They read the tackle. My corners read the tackle. Low hat, they came. High hat, they dropped. And I learned right then, I have to have a great play action game. And I had no clue that that people were reading the hat of my tackle. And that not only did that teach me a lot offensively, it taught me a lot defensively. So all this stuff I learned in 2011. So God has taken me through all these trials. That 2011 semifinal loss was awful. But God is just showing me things 
And then so, boom, in 2012, we won the state championship. It all came together. And uh, a good reason why it all came together is, and God brought me this guy. Um, I We were able to hire Derek Chastain, who was the defensive line coach at Camden County under Jeff Heron. I call Jeff Heron the godfather of Georgia high school football. He's at T.L. Hanna in South Carolina now, but and I'm going to have him on this podcast soon. I'm going to beg him because we need to hear from him. But I never got to work for Jeff Heron. I wish I could have, but I pretty much got his whole football philosophy from Derek Chastain and how I run my practices, how we play defense, how we run our program, a lot of it. It's not just like Jeff Heron because I'm not Jeff Heron, but, but the philosophy behind it all is – from Jeff Heron. And so uh, Derek Chastain was a godsend to me. And so we, you know, we took that three, five, the Camden County three, five cover three, and we ran it to a T. Uh, Derek would try to play cover two sometimes because they did that at Camden County. <clears throat> we would always stink when he started doing that. And so, <clears throat> you know, we just got great at cover three, kind of fits who we are as a school. And I learned so much. And so I kind of latched on to Jeff Heron and would ask him questions every now and then. And, you know, probably once or twice I would give him a phone call just asking questions. And obviously Chastain and I became great friends and learned a lot right there. So moving forward in 2013, um, <clears throat> I learned a lot as a head coach about what not to do. I hired a guy, Zach Davis, who's a great friend of mine. And, and so in two, I, I learned to love the 3-5, cover three. And if you ever win a state championship with something, you know, you think that you have to keep doing that. But I, I, I end up loving the 3-5, cover three, and that's what fits my school. But I didn't realize that. And I hired Zach, and, and I didn't make Zach run the 3-5. And so we never really meshed because Zach has his philosophy. I had the 3-5 that I wanted to run. But it was all my fault because I did not articulate to Zach what I wanted to run. But I didn't know. And uh, so, Zach, I'm apologizing to you right now that we didn't work out. And it was poor leadership on my end. But that was God uh, working, uh, with, working in me. But we lost in the semis. And I think, you know, Zach did, you know, I think at the end... At, when it was all said and done, when we worked hard to mesh our philosophies, we ended up running a 4-4 cover three. <clears throat> and Zach did a great job with that. And we got into the state championship game, or the semifinal game, and I was like, man, cover three is not going to work versus these kids, versus these guys because they were Calvary Day school. They had like four Division One wide receivers, a quarterback that had thrown for like 4,000 yards, a Division One tailback. I was like, man, cover, they'll kill us in cover three. We got to play something else. So we try to play two man because I was talking to Kenny Dallas, and um, but bottom line is what I learned is you can't just play cover three. You, you got to have an answer. And Zach Davis just did a podcast on got to have a curveball, and uh, and and we and now we do have a curveball. Elka, we play cover three. We play what we call wide, which looks like cover two. We play Jordan, which is Tampa two, and we play cover one. And um, but but we just want to be in cover three most of the time. But you, but you got to have answers. <clears throat> um, so in 2013, um, learned all those things. We lose in the semis. Our quarterback got hurt. You know, I have no regrets besides learning to lead as a coach. Um, I got to meet Dabo Sweeney that year because uh, he was recruiting Andrew Williams. Um, and so man, that made a great connection right there. 
I was able to, I had to go pick him up from the airport and drive, and I was his driver, which, you know, that I should pay money. They didn't pay me, but um, I went to pick him up. It was snowy and they couldn't find one. So I went to pick him up. But by the grace of God, I got to spend 45 minutes um, from the airport and to the airport with Dabo Sweeney in the car, picking his brain and just kind of his philosophy style. And I learned to love him. And we go to his football camp each year. And I'll go up there and study film sometimes and watch them in spring practice. And I just learned so much just by watching. You know, for me, going to a practice is more valuable than going to a coaching clinic to see what they do and how they do it. Um, so I got to, so got to connected with Dabo Sweeney and his staff because <clears throat> they were recruiting one of our players. And then also Gus Malzahn. And you guys know that Gus Malzahn was a high school football coach. <clears throat> well, so he was recruiting Andrew Williams. So, I, so, you know, when they're recruiting your player, they'll be your friend uh, really good until they get, get your player. But he would answer any question I had. And, I, and so one of, the, one of our answers with cover three is uh, what I asked him, what defense did you run in high school to stop your offense because his offense was prolific in high school. I said, but, and then he told me that he also coached defense. I said, well, what did you run? What would you run versus your offense to stop it? And he drew something on the board and that what he drew on the board is exact led to what we call Jordan co cover our Tampa two. Um, it's our answer to spread teams that throw the ball all the time. And so I learned that from him, and I'd go down there and study his film and watch them practice. Also is tempo. I learned tempo, how he called things, no huddle, going as fast as you can, slowing it down, all of that. Um, I learned that from him, and, uh, and so that's what we do. I also met Bobby Bentley, who was a, what do they call him, analyst on his staff. Well, Bobby Bentley built the powerhouse Burns back in South Carolina and won four state championships in South Carolina. So I went down to Auburn with the sole intent to sit down with Bobby Bentley and learn how to how he had won four state championships. This is all happening um, in 2013, and uh, in and Bobby Bentley, um, you know, he told me everything, and <clears throat> maybe I'll have a podcast one day of the notes I took from him. One thing that he said as a, as a, he says, I said, Coach, is Burns going to continue to win without you? He says, if they can hold it all together. And I just thought that football factories are football factories. I never thought about them as being a house of cards. But that's exactly what it is. It's constant. You have to constantly pay attention to your program and what you're doing and work at it every single day. Even if you have it built at the highest level, you have to constantly work at it every single day. And that's what he was saying. Somebody has to hold it together. So... Um, and then, you know, lastly, I know this is a long podcast. You can turn it off if you want. <clears throat> in 2014, we started off 0 and 6. That was a real, you know, I thought I was a genius coach. You know, we had been to the quarterfinals, the state championship game, the semifinals, and then boom, we're 0 and 6. But let me tell you what, we weren't very talented that year, and I learned how to, within our offense, our spread run offense, we were running jet sweep, jet uh, quarterback power, quarter uh, tailback counter, all this stuff. I learned how to run the buck sweep because I didn't have any fast jet guys. We needed to cut it up inside, and teams started blitzing me from the outside, so I needed to cut it up inside of that blitz. So we started running the buck sweep. Who I, I learned the buck sweep from Gus Malzahn, how to run it in the spread. Um, I, the play action game we got great at 
man, low hat, man, we, we started getting people and we really started to figure out defensively, okay, man, we, we really need to come up with a philosophy on defense. I need as a head coach to set a philosophy. We're going to run three, five cover three, and that's all we're going to do. Obviously we'll have our answers, but that's, I'm not going to waiver any defensive coordinator I hire. You're going to run this defense. Also that year, uh, my alma mater, the Citadel, hired Mike Houston, and Mike Houston instantly took a team that was, you know, pretty mediocre, and he won a conference championship with them. And every coach that I would talk to, from <clears throat> Wofford and Furman, they talked about how physical Mike Houston's football teams were. And Mike Houston is now the head coach at East Carolina. He went from the Citadel, went to James Madison, won a national championship, and now he is the head coach at East Carolina. But his he had that same philosophy that I had physical and that just kind of reinforced yes be physical now we uh so we started off 0 and 6 but we went on a six game run or a seven game run and we made it to the state championship so we started off 0 and 6 we went 4 and 0 in our region and then we went 3 and 0 in the playoffs to make it to the state championship where we got absolutely annihilated by Mount Perrin, um, and they beat us 49-7, to and Coach, he ran cover one the entire game. He never got out of cover one, and he took it to us. And what's my point? I'm telling you about all these coaches that took it to us, <clears throat> and they weren't complex on defense. They were simple, but they were amazing at what they did. So, you know, I learned a lot right there. In 2015, you know, the 2014 butt whooping that we took in the state championship, I say this, I learned this quote right here, my past failures fuel my future. In 2011, we lost in the semifinals and went on to win the state championship in 2012. In 2014, we got annihilated 49-7 in the state championship game. Horrible failure, but we've gone on to win four state championships. So um, 2015, we win the state championship. We learned play action. I learned how to come downhill on power a little bit more, make it more like veer, even though we're blocking power. Um, I really learned um, about great leadership and two young men that I had and Chandler Reeves and Dalton Hardeman on my football team. <clears throat> and then also two amazing competitors, DJ Hammond and Chase Burdett. DJ was on offense and Chase Burdett was on defense. But our team wasn't overly talented. I would say we were un, we, we didn't have a ton of talent at all, but but these four guys were huge on our football team and were huge in why we won a state championship. Two great leaders controlling that locker room and representing Christ every single day, Chandler Reeves and Dalton Hardeman, and then two great competitors in our quarterback, DJ Hammond, and our linebacker, Chase Burdett, right where you want those two great leaders. 2016, we win the state championship again. I had been down to Clemson in the spring before the 2016 season, <clears throat> and we learned how to run power read. Um, and also in 2016, and I, I got to meet uh, Coach Ed Dudley, and, and you guys hear him on our podcast sometimes. I asked him to co-host it with me a lot of times. I, Ed Dudley is a very successful high school football coach. I knew he was at Walton. I knew he was at Ware County. I knew he was at Carrollton. I knew he was then you know, the offense coordinator at Westland. 
And, uh, you know, people like for me, the question always is, is leave Elka and go somewhere bigger or go to college or, or whatever. Um, and coach Dudley, uh, I was just talking to him about that right before the game. You know, you find successful people and you ask them questions. You don't have to annoy them, but you just ask them. <clears throat> and I was like, you know, I've thought about leaving Elka a few times. And Coach Dudley stopped me. He says, why would you leave? Elka is Jonathan Guess. He, and, and he goes, he went in and talked about the, the um, regrets that he had in life. And man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to learn from these coaches and I don't want to make the same mistakes that other coaches made. And so I, I'm willing to ask those questions and to learn from people. In 2017, we were loaded. Uh, but man, as a as a manager, as a coach, our, we had a lot of drama on our football team. I remember, um, you know, if you go and look at our scores, we we destroyed everybody. But I remember having an 8 p.m. mandatory meeting for my parents because we had a lot of racial conflict on our football team, and I wasn't gonna have it. And I wasn't gonna have uh, black players accusing white players of being racist, and I wasn't gonna have white players accusing black players of being racist. We were gonna be unified. We were gonna be one. But it is something I had to fight the entire year. Even the semifinal game, I threatened my team with to call Prince Avenue and just hand them the victory because I had a divide. And uh, but it was something that I fought for, and that's, that's something you have to understand as a, as a coach. You have to fight. For your football team. You have to fight for the unity of your football team. You have to fight to keep your football team together. There is always things attacking, and they'll attack it in the locker room. It'll attack it from the outside. You can never go a day that, that you're not taking care of your football program, which is, you know, which is your product. 2018, we had great players. <clears throat> we had two great leaders. Our quarterback, Braden Rush, was a great leader. And our linebacker on the other side of the ball, Jonathan Youngblood, was a great leader. Just ultra competitors. And we had great talent around them and great football players around them. Um, but you know what, guys? I about died. I was in a hospital uh, three days before the game. And that's where, guys, I'm really learning that, you know, I need to make the game bigger than winning, which is a lot of reason why I'm doing the podcast, man. I, I want to help other coaches be successful and give other coaches a voice. And, uh, you know, people will probably only agree to do anything with me because we've won or listen to me because we've won. But I just want it to be bigger than football for, for my players and, and for friendships I have with coaches out there. And um, But if, if you make winning your God, Either it will kill you or you're going to neglect something very important such as your family, uh, your wife. Um, and so, you know, here we are now, uh, 2018, 19, and I'm doing these podcasts and doing a lot of different stuff. And I'm just trying to find, can I do it better? I'm talking to these coaches, um, same conversations I've always had, but can I do it better? You know, like you listen to Tim McFarland, you listen to John Ford, Ed Dudley, Jason Carrera, all these guys. Can I do it better? And, um, you know, I can't be those guys because we all have different personalities, but can I do it better? Is there one thing that they can say to me that challenges me uh, to, to do it better? And um, think about Mark Hodge in South Carolina, just the things he was saying about don't waste people's time. Be efficient. And so uh, that's what I'm doing right now. Um, I, I had a few things I wrote down at the end. And... Um, so here, here's the first thing. Success requires work, okay? You, can't, you just don't win. 
Um, I text my players all the time. You know, I'm on vacation right now for three days. It's Memorial Day weekend. I took my family to the beach. My players don't need to not hear from me for three days. You know, I have all of their numbers in a group text list, and I text them, and I talk to them. I communicate with them. You constantly have to have your voice in their head, setting the vision, helping them think about doing right, doing what they're supposed to do. You need to be a leader for them, and a leader communicates. I email my parents, you know, uh, constantly trying to communicate the vision, constantly setting a vision for our program and for their child, what we're trying to do with their child with, through the game of football. I, I do YouTube videos now trying to reach my parents. What, however I can reach the parents and get them to buy in. You have to earn your players' trust. You can't just expect your players to trust you and respect you. You have to earn it. Number four. You can know all the X's and O's you want, but if you can't lead, it doesn't matter. You know, I see a lot of Twitter, X and O talk, X and O talk, X and O talk. We love to talk X's and O's. That's the easy part. That's the fun part. You have to lead. You have to communicate your vision, and you have to lead your players. Because if they don't follow, it doesn't matter what you know. And if you're not genuine, they won't listen to you. Um, your best player's parents, they get to talk to you. You know, you have to talk with them or they'll leave. You need to communicate with them. You need to let them know that you're helping getting them in college. You need to let them know how you're getting them into college. That's just part of the job. And, and you can't, if you don't do it, then you're not going to have success. Your best boosters, <laughs> they deserve to have your ear. You can't just not talk to them. You have to talk to them. You need to give them what they want within reason. They, you know, and I, I tell people all this, I'll do what anybody wants me to do, but you're not commonplace and don't tell me how to run the football part of my program. But, you know, if um, an, an important booster in my program, Tony Carter, he called me up one time, multiple times, and says, Coach, I don't think that you should drive the the uh, the um, the charter buses back after the game. I think y'all should spend the night and then come home. Yes, sir. You know, it doesn't, I mean, if that's what he wants and he was paying for the charter buses, who am I to argue? Um, number seven, whoever is in charge, serve him or her and sell them your vision constantly. At my school, it's the headmaster, Chuck Gillum. You know, whatever Chuck tells me to do, I'm going to do. I'm not going to argue with him. I want to be his servant and I want to make my portion of the school the very best that I can. And if I ever have an issue, I do not communicate my issue with anyone but him. I go to his office and we talk and then also <clears throat> try to sell my vision and what we're doing with our football program. And number eight, you are constantly selling your program to all stakeholders. Your fans, your parents, your community, your boosters, and most importantly, your players, your administrators, your teachers, you're constantly selling. You've got to sell it. You know, one of the good things that, that I came up with doing is I write a letter every Friday of a football game, and it goes to every stakeholder. And, it, and it's, it's basically a devotion. Um, and, and here's what our program is. Well, here's what we're doing. Whatever God's put, put on my heart that week, but we're communicating our vision to our stakeholders. You have to, or your program will die. 
And then finally, I'm going to leave you with this. Um, <clears throat> you have to see greatness in players. And I'm just going to use this as an example. Uh, two years ago, we had a sophomore move in. He was ineligible, tall, lanky kid, about six foot three. You know, he's probably 170 pounds. He didn't talk very much. You could take him for being rude. He had moved in in March, and we go into the spring game, and, and, and we go through spring practice, and we're playing Stockbridge over there. And, you know, you have to earn your players' trust before you start yelling at them and demanding things. Well, one of my coaches was in the spring game was yelling at him and telling him he was disrespectful and rude. And I looked at that coach and I said, hey, man, be quiet. Let me handle Justin. And um, quit yelling at him. Just leave him alone. He's mine. And that coach was like, you don't trust me, blah, blah, blah. Well, honest truth is, no, I don't trust you because I don't think the kid should be yelled at right now because the reason why we're not yelling at the kid right now is because he doesn't trust us. And I can't yell at a kid and coach a kid until he trusts me. And I was going to earn his trust before I started yelling at him. So Justin um, he hadn't been with us long enough for us to earn his trust. So he's just a sophomore. So he does summer workouts with us all summer. He's el he's an el That was his freshman year. And his sophomore year, he's ineligible. So He's, so he moved in his freshman year, I'm sorry, spring game of his freshman year is when that happened. So does summer workouts with us heading into his sophomore year, plays football, but he's ineligible, so he just plays JV. So now I've had about eight months with Justin as we move into January, and he's about to become, now he's about six foot four, he's probably 190, and I know he's a Division One football player. Justin, so, and I have, I, I've invested eight months in him, so there's that trust level. He knows me, I know him. First day, we come back after winter training, or winter break, uh, Christmas break, <clears throat> he does not work out, and I flipped out on him, and, um, and I unloaded on him, because, hey, we're going to work hard, and we're going to work hard every day that's a work day. I unloaded on him, and I told him to transfer. I told him to go back to wherever he came from. I'm not coaching him. Well, that night, he and his, you know, I called it. Now, I didn't leave it like that. That's what I told him. I called his parents and I said, Hey, Dad, um, Quay, just go with me on this, man. I said, I ripped into him. I said, Your son's a Division I football player. I'm going to make him a Division I football player, but y'all got to believe in me. And so uh, I talked to his parents and we had a meeting that night, Quay and Tessie and Justin, and we had a come to Jesus meeting. And they were on board because I had communicated with them and they were on board with me. We had set the vision of what we wanted Justin to be, what we believed he could be. And we, me and the parents and I were all on board. Justin never missed another workout. He is now uh, verbally committed to the University of Georgia, a four-star. He's six foot four, 210 pounds. He runs a four five forty. He jumps 38 inches, <clears throat> and he's one of the best wide receivers in the state of Georgia. He's one of the best wide receivers in the country. Also plays great defense. He had three interceptions in our semifinal game last year. He had uh, he had 95 yards receiving in our state championship game that we had to have our wide receiver. Now just think about it, if I didn't earn that trust with him, if I wasn't patient, you just can't unload, earn the right to coach your players. So that's about an hour. Hope you guys listened to it. I'm just trying to help like I talked about. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to do the one on how to be a great assistant. Um, Keep sharing us a lot. I'm hearing a lot of great feedback, a lot of great feedback about our podcast. <clears throat> and like I said, the goal is just to uh, connect with other coaches, a uh, community of information, 
things that I did not have when I was 23, 24, 25. Uh, we're going to have great people on for you this month. I've already talked to, um, let's see, I've already talked to, I can guarantee these people will be on. Rocky Hidalgo will be on. Rush Proats will be on. Uh, Chris Marv, he's a 30-year-old prodigy. He was the linebacker coach at Vanderbilt last year. Now he's at Mississippi State. Uh, the Memphis coach is on. I'm for, he's he's a uh, he's the running back coach. I'm forgetting his name, but uh, I talked to him. He's going to be on. He was a high school football coach in Memphis for five years. Um, coach Vot, the O line coach at Mercer, is going to be on. The Troy defensive coordinator is going to be on. Tashar Choice, running back coach at Georgia Tech, is going to be on. Kenny Dallas is going to be on. Anthony Jones is the is the Memphis coach. I just remembered. Anthony, he was at Cordova High School. So. Um, also, man, I'm gonna go like I, I'm gonna go after Hal Lamb, and I'm going to go after the the Godfather, uh, Jeff Heron. And if you guys would like to hear from anybody, uh, you know, just just uh, tweet it, or you can uh, what direct message me. Yeah, direct message me or email me, whatever you want. Uh, let me know how we can make this podcast better uh, for you. Appreciate everybody. Oh man, sorry. You guys know I like to end every podcast with a prayer, so let me pray. <clears throat> Lord, we come before you today. I just want to praise and thank you for loving us. Praise and thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for our sins. Lord, we just pray that you would be with all the listeners out there. And Lord, I just pray that people would know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray all the coaches out there, all the leaders out there, Lord, that they would uh, lead for Jesus Christ. Lord, that they would grow in Jesus Christ. And and uh, Lord, keep us humble. Uh, may we not ever think that, that we built a house or we did anything, Lord. That, Lord, it's... All is from you, Lord. It's just like the farmer, Lord. The, lar- the farmer can plant and he can do all the things that he needs to do, but you have to bring the rain, Lord. And, and that's how it is for us. And may we always give you all the honor and the glory. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing my soul. Sing my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Worship His holy name Sing like never before Oh my soul I worship Your holy name And on that day when my strength is failing the end draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise unending ten thousand years and then forever